This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Do you know your unique and God-given destiny? Are you living your destiny? And most importantly, how are you a destiny helper for others? Today's show is all about seeing a bigger vision and purpose for your life. God wants to impact the world through you. And he has a word for you about living out your destiny as a marketplace ministry leader. My special guest grew up in Uganda, Africa. In the space of one year, after a poisonous snake bite, measles, and crippling polio at seven years old, he was unable to walk and to this day still travels in a wheelchair. He is here today to let us know that God's word and plan for you is still unlimited. And even if he has you on your knees, it's a perfect place from which to pray and to rise to your destiny. So let me tell you a little bit more about my special guest. Pastor Canisius Gakora serves as senior pastor of Nia Bujingo Worship Center and as president of Rwanda Christian Outreach Ministries. He has a Bachelor of Theology degree and a Master's in Biblical Studies from Midwest Bible College. He is married to his beautiful wife, Alan, and they are the parents of four children. Pastor Gakora conducts conferences, church planting, evangelistic crusades, and leadership training. Pastor Gakora is also the author of two books, Unlimited, Conquering on My Knees, and his latest release, Discover Your Destiny. Every person to whom I have sent his first book, Unlimited, Conquering on My Knees, came back to say how the book deeply blessed their lives. Pastor Kokora has been a tremendous inspiration to me through his books and his spirit-filled preaching each time he returns to the United States. So Pastor Kokora, welcome to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. I am delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Dr. Karen, for giving me such a golden opportunity of coming here on this media platform to share. It's a great honor to be with you. I'm eager to see and to hear what the Lord is going to be doing through this great show. Thank you for such a tremendous work you're doing. Thank you very much for being here. It's my honor to have you as my guest, and you are doing a tremendous work, and I want people to hear about it and to also hear what God has in mind for them through you. So thank you so much for saying yes to the invitation, and welcome back to the United States also. So Pastor Kukura, I want to start today with you really taking us on a journey through the earlier part of your life, because God often takes us on a journey through what I call difficult territory, difficult terrain. 
And he does that before he reveals the meaning and the purpose of those hardships in our life. So take us back to your early days and just do a brief history of the many hardships that you faced and that you experienced along the way. Life is a journey. I believe that I'm not only the one who got through all these challenges. I believe that there are several people who have gone through challenges and everyone has got a story to tell. I grew up in a country which was going through civil wars. I was born, I grew up in Uganda. I was born during the reign and the leadership of a man called Idi Amin Dada, who was the president of Uganda. That is the time I was born. So during that time, from 70s up to 86, Uganda was going through horrible time of war. I can't tell people what I experienced as a boy of five years to seven years. There were horrible things you will ever like your kid to watch and to see. So by the time when I was seven years old, I got bitten by a snake. It was a wartime. Hospitals were closed down. Everything couldn't work. I was bitten by a snake five miles away from home. And uh, then thereafter, all the hospitals were closed. I could not get access to the hospital. For three weeks, I had no any medical attention. So I was only depending on herbs. And that's all because the hospitals were unreachable. I saw my body rotting. I saw maggots, hundreds of them, not one. I saw some of my foot bones coming out. And in order my dad to kill these maggots, he had to get concentrated pesticide and poured in the wound in order to kill those hundreds of maggots. And when my dad saw that he, things were not really going well, he decided to risk his life. And he, he took me to the hospital. And the nearest hospital was around 80 miles away from our house. If the roads, what we call the roads, were closed down because the soldiers were going through, killing people, and it was not just an easy thing to go through. But after some time, miraculously, my daddy decided to take uh, the jungle route. And imagine someone who cannot even sit by yourself. He had to sit me on the bicycle with someone assisting, and we had to pedal the bicycle to the hospital, going through those bushes, dodging that those soldiers cannot do any harm to us. You know, the thorns could even, could cause pain and it was a hard scenario. Then after that, I was admitted for some month. I remember reaching at the hospital and they told me this guy, because everywhere the poison reached, my skin color changed and it had reached towards the heart. And when I reached there, medical doctors said it was only going to be one hour. Just in one hour, he was going to be dead. But, you know, in every way, God makes a way where it seems to be in a way he protects. Then after the snake, after recovering, I came back and I recovered. I felt it is okay. After some month, then I got measles. And I got it from a boy who never survived. And that was a time which was very difficult. The boy passed on. I was in coma for some days. And they took me to, again to the hospital. Miraculously, I recovered. Coming back. After some months, I'm thinking that everything is okay with me. Some months, I got this terrible sickness, and that was polio. I got polio. It was a very horrible experience. 
you know, when you talk about the agonal pain, yes, I had pain during snake bite, the maggots and so on, and the wound and the everything. It was worse. But the pain I got with polio was a way different. It was as if you had the knife and you were scratching someone's bone. You, you know, the, that pain, that kind of pain, I lowered for several days with the pain. You know, this body we have can change within the twinkling of an eye. After some time, just a difference of three hours, it made a difference and I could not walk. I ended up being taken. We lived in such a primitive community whereby they believed much in witchcraft. So they ended up saying, you know, medical doctors cannot help. You better take him to witches. And they took me to witch doctors and traditional healers. And it was the hardest scenario you ever have. Whenever that polio affects you, to some people it affects your lungs. Other people it even affects their brain. And it affects everywhere you have the joints. But miraculously, my brain and my lungs were not affected, but all the joints on my body, including the backbone and everywhere, I could not sit by myself. I could not stand. I needed support to do even the sitting. But when I reached in the hands of those witch doctors, they hung me for hours. You know, they could hang me. If I could fall down, imagine I was supported by my hands. If I could fall down, they could lift me with the spanks and with caning, with a big stick. They were literally caning me. That was the order of the day, every morning and every evening. It was the hardest thing. At times during nighttime, you felt, okay, I wish the night could be uh, prolonged. It was not good because you don't have anybody to talk to. But at least you could say, I'm not going to face the caning and falling down on that back and on those joints, which are. It's as if you have this terrible wound and you fall on that wound as if that's how I felt. I know what it means to cry for help and you don't get any. Because even my family members who were with me, they were terrorized by those uh, uh, witch doctors or traditional healers. They were telling them, if you sympathize with him, then you are not helping him to get healed. So the only way was not to respond and not complain, and they had nothing to do. It was a hard thing. You know, every day you cry and ask you, you even call death because the time you are in, imagine you can't sit by yourself, you can't. I mean, I was in that prime time, around uh, 9, 10, in the prime time when you think that, uh, you know, this is the, the good life I'm going to be having. Those, that is the time when the kids are more active than other ages. So now your life stops at once. You've been telling this story, which is quite amazing about your early life. I want to just highlight a few of the things you mentioned. First of all, the country was at war. I remember when Idi Amin was in charge of the country. And then you get snake bit five miles from home and the hospitals are all closed and the maggots are taking over your body, all of this difficulty. And then your father eventually gets you to the hospital. He has to also use pesticides to deal with the maggots. You don't die from that, although you could. Then you get the measles. The boy who gave you the measles, he died. You still don't die. And then you have polio and they didn't know what to do. They take you to the witch doctors. Very abusive and difficult situation with the witch doctors and they don't help. So you end up coming home and having to recover with your family. And that's just the beginning of trials, because I know in your life, 
without a wheelchair and without being able to walk, you had to crawl on your knees for many years doing many things. And so many uh, people didn't imagine that there was a destiny for you. How did you discover your destiny and your God-given purpose? As I was introduced to that new life, one thing I've realized in life, the major thing we go through is not the pain or what we go through that matters, but what matters most, the longest journey of my life was to accept what has happened to me. You know, there is that fact that every time when you go through some experiences which are hurting, we still struggle with that. You feel you don't deserve that. You feel with that scenario. When I came back home, I had no wheelchair for more than 12 years. I couldn't even move around. It was very difficult. I couldn't go to school. And I saw all my siblings go to school. I never got the opportunity. And whenever I talked about education, because I lived in that primitive community, they knew that if you become a disabled, you can't go even to school. They think that uh, you have even a problem with mental, you, you, you might be having a mental problem, so you cannot go to formal education. And the only thing to learn was to learn how to repair old torn shoes and to shine shoes. In my life, I was feeling, I don't feel that is my destiny. I don't feel that's what I am. I feel I'm more than this. I was a boy who was very active. And I really had a positive mind for the future. I was a hardworking person and I wanted my life too. But I felt hopeless. They came and told me, you know, God saw that you're going to become a dangerous guy. That's why he treated you like that. So I felt he hated me, felt he never loved me. I felt I don't deserve to live. And I tried to commit suicide several times because I felt I was a burden to my family. I felt I was useless. And whenever people came to visit, who saw me when I was still walking, whenever they came to visit and they could see me, many people could shed tears. And I was just saying, why am I here just causing sadness to people? Why can't I die that I don't cause tear to people all the time? So when you feel you are meaningless, and every time whenever anything could happen, someone could mention something about my situation, and that's where I felt I needed death. So I tried suicide, not one time. I developed anger and bitterness. I started developing sadness. I could go to bed at around 10 and I could be asleep at around 3 a.m. in the night, thinking about where is my future? Will I marry? Will I have kids? How will I care for my children? What kind of a girl that is going to accept to be married to a person like me? So in that scenario, it was a very hard experience. And that's why I ended up trying suicide. Two times I took myself to a deeper well and I crawled two kilometers away from our house, reaching at the edge of the well when I'm about to drown. Someone from nowhere appeared. And this happened on two different occasions, going to the same well and it Different people at different occasions meeting me there. The last time I got this concentrated pesticide, which the same pesticide my dad poured in the wound to kill maggots, I got this container of two liters full of this pesticide. As I was going to take it, I poured in the lid. As I was taking, I don't know how my tongue sunk in the lid full of this pesticide. You know that pesticide, is, it is bitter. 
and it burns you. And as it burnt me, fear from nowhere, I started shaking. There was an inner voice inside me telling me, don't take it, don't take it. But that command was too strong that I started shaking and I poured back the pesticide with that shaking. And after pouring it back, that's when I started hearing the voice telling me, you need Jesus. And that conviction stayed for three weeks. I had had the gospel. I felt God was against me. People told me, God loved me. I never saw God loving me. I thought he was my enemy, number one, because of what they used to say that God saw you are going to become a dangerous guy. And I had seen people who were more dangerous. And I asked myself, those people who killed, those people who raped, those witch doctors and several other people who were the evil people, I can say. But they were not like me. And in my heart, I was asking, did they really God see that I'm going to be more dangerous than these people? This is a big call to everyone who deals with the people who are in pain. I want to say you need to be very careful the words you speak to them. You don't know how much they are in a deep ditch, but it's as if you were even digging, you know, the dirt on them. You were burying them. The words you speak can encourage or can cause this person. He gets more pain than he or she has been in. And then afterwards, after those three weeks of conviction, I crawled to the church and I received a man who made a big difference. The church was away like 2.5 kilometers away from our home. It was a Friday. I usually call it my good Friday. A Friday that made impact in my life. A Friday I met a man by the names of Jesus. And my hope, when I reached in the church, that's when I realized that God loved me, despite of what I've gone through. I owned every word which came from men and women of God. And I literally had hunger. I felt the anger and bitterness I had against God, it was turned into a deeper love for God. And I remember crawling all those on Wednesday on my knees and Friday and Sundays, going to church to and fro, there were five kilometers. And a week I made 15 kilometers. And there are times I made 20 kilometers. And that meant a lot to me. And that passion grew. That's when I realized when you check in people's hearts, there is a positivity mindset God created in human beings. And when we get challenged, there is something trying to suppress that positivity. And when that positivity is suppressed, that's when people tend to think about suicide. That's when people tend to feel useless. That's when people tend to resort to drugs and several other things, because there is that virtue which cannot be covered by anything. Money cannot cover that virtue. Even your professionalism cannot even cover that. There is something where you need the hope of God to cover that. And afterwards, you feel I can make it. God is on my side. Absolutely. You know, this is so profound what you are sharing because there are many people who are going through difficult 
times, and some have even considered taking their own lives. And you're saying that this positivity that's in us from God, he is the one that's able to build on that and to make that rise up as a bigger flame. And yet there are people around us who look at our circumstances and they try to say, God doesn't love you, or they speak some words of negativity into our lives that keeps us kind of like uh, suppressed. But you were saying that of the three times that you tried to take your life, God sent his messengers to say things to you to stop the action and even to tell you, you need Jesus. And you finally see the love of God, which you had not seen up to that point for yourself. And of course, this is in an environment and in a culture where when people see you in physical disability, they assume mentally you aren't there, intellectually you're not there. And obviously that's not true, but that's what people assume. So you had a lot that you had to go through at that time. So let me bring it forward a little bit and ask this. Your book that you have written about Discover Your Destiny is all about people understanding their purpose from God. Tell us, how do you define this destiny? How is it different from desire and passion? Destiny is something which is very, very crucial, Dr. Ken. At times we pursue education, we pursue several things. Every one of us has got a passion. Everyone has a is passionate for something. But I'm here to let people know that our destiny is more than even our profession, is more than even what we have. There is a reason as to why you are created as a human being. And it is more than what people can see with their naked eyes. God has stocked in us potential which is beyond what anyone can even imagine. Uh, the scriptures tell me that we are fearfully and wonderfully met. And that is very true. Little did I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully met because of what I had gone through, because of the names I was uh, given by the community and how people looked at me. And we needed to realize you were more than what your parents seen you. You were more than what the people you work with, what they can see in you. You have more potential. There are more treasures. I usually say that God created us. We are like gold depots. Gold is not on the top. There are some, You have to dig deep to go. And those diamonds, many treasures, God hid them and he defined the things. So our destiny is hidden in undefined people. This is why even when David was going to be anointed as a king, his dad never remembered that she deserves to be among us, the candidates. You know how much as parents we love our kids. And I want to imagine when given opportunity to get all my kids that one of them is going to become a king and I have to exclude one of them. And that means that the dad had human eyes. And this is why we needed to turn that focus. Why do the word of God help us? Why do we really tend to change it the way we think? When we turn to start to focus on who we are, not what people see in us, but the way God created us. So several of us and people who are watching this program and who are listening to this program, I want to say you are a stock and you are the stock of everything God wants to do here on the earth. I usually tell people, we are not cleaner than God as human beings. 
whereby we know how where to dump the trashes. I don't think that God can create a person who is like a trash and he just puts him there as a decoration. I don't believe that. I believe there is something you are created for. You have a destiny. But unless someone digs out those natural resources and those resources, they can stay in the ground. There is a country, you know, they had oil for several years, but they never knew that they had it. They were suffering in extreme poverty. Of recent, they discovered that oil, but it never came just recent. They needed people to discover. That is how we are. We have stock of resources, but we need to come to the level of realizing what we are. You are more than what people see. You are more than what your parents can see in you. And this is why you needed to discover that. And when you discover that, you take another step. After discovering itself is not enough, you start to excavate. You start to put use that discovery. And that's when you start to put in practice what that destiny. So every one of us, you have a destiny. And you need to go in that. And you need to live that. And you need to walk in that. You know, there's something really important in what you're saying, because you're saying there's what people see on the surface. And that's not the whole story. It's not everything that God has built in the person very deep. And you talked about the same way we have to go deep to drill for oil, or we have to go deep to find gold, the same Mm. way we have to go deep to see diamonds. And in fact, if you look at a diamond in the rough, you wouldn't even know the value of it because Mm -hmm. it doesn't look like anything that's valuable. And you're saying, don't look at the surface. You're saying, go deeper because God has put his treasure in the earthen vessels, if you will. And each person has that special gifting, that special purpose, that special greatness, I'll say, from God is what you are encouraging people to realize. So even if it doesn't look that way to you, just know that God has planted in each one the greatness that comes from him. I think that's a very important message, Pastor Gukura, that you are mentioning. I'm going to move forward again and ask you, because At some point, uh, you went to college and all of this. So you got educated. It was not easy. You had to crawl on your knees to get to the school and all of this. And then eventually, at some point, God calls you to go to Rwanda. You grew up in Uganda, but God is calling you to go to Rwanda, which probably seemed quite impossible to people you actually go there uh, to the country of Rwanda. And I want you to tell us about the genocide that happened in Rwanda and how even your journey prepared you to minister to the people there. I usually tell people that uh, out of great hearts flows great healing. At times, some people will regret why we go through pain and why we do we go through challenges. But when we go in the Bible history, when we go even in the world history, all great people, people who have made great impact on the earth, they are people who had challenges. And those challenges, at a certain extent, many of us think that they are meant to kill us, they are meant to harm us, but 
It's as if they are squeezing us that the best could come out of us. I know many of us, we enjoy juice, but anyone to extract juice from anywhere, whether it is mango, mango juice, whether it is pineapple juice, they squeeze those fruits to get the best. So those pressing moments, several times people worry about them, but they are pressing moments. They are defining moments. They are not meant to harm us, but they are meant to produce the best out of us. So with all those experience, not going to school, going to school when I was 15 years, you know, getting to when I couldn't read and write, when I went through the elementary, when you were 15, you know what it means, going you through the high school, uh, even crawling on my knees, and then after my high school, going into the Bible college, and then after Bible college, all those trips were not easy, that they needed bigger sacrifice. If, if you want to achieve your destiny, number one thing you need to know, you need to leave your comfort zone, whereby when you think about yourself, you cannot discover your destiny when you are still self-centered thinking about me, when you want people to sympathize with you, you want people to cry with you, you want people to, oh, sorry, what happened to you, brother? With all that, it can't help you until you start to process your destiny. It's like we become like this young gentleman who had spent 38 years at the pond. The Bible tells us that he was complaining that I'm waiting for someone to throw me there. In the, and whenever the water turns, I don't have anyone to dump in there. And Jesus was saying, what do you want me to do to you? So there are, God wants to do like that. And that was, I was a person who was concerning myself until I had to leave that environment of pain, of self-consolation, of self-pity. And I started to focus on what God wants me to accomplish. And that's when after all the time I started discovering what God wants from me, it doesn't begin with a big thing. It begins with a smaller step. Never undermine any smaller step you take of obedience to hear what God wants you to do. And after some time, you will be amazed. And that is how God led me from where I was. And I ended up in Rwanda after finishing my Bible school. I had never seen anybody in the wheelchair or crawling on his knees or honey's pioneering the church. It was a very difficult experience. The best thing I had to do was to obey and listen to God because I knew that God had the best for me and he knows what is the best. And I ended up in Rwanda. And as you say, all the pain I went through, little did I know how much is going to benefit me in the future. It turned to be all the pain or reje rejections all the names people gave me, everything and every discouragement and every heap of curses on me, it acted as a well. I used it to draw, to minister to those people who went through the pain of the genocide. There are times you come to embrace and thank God that God thank you that I went through what I went through. You've reminded me one person who came and asked me and asked me how old are you? I, I told him how old I am. And he ended up asking me, the words you speak don't match the age you have. Challenges cause you to grow. I started God using me to heal others who are wounded like me. And the genocide after the genocide whereby 
One million people are killed in a hundred days. That's every day over 10,000 people killed. And we had the highest rate of orphans, the highest rate of raped women, women who had uh, pregnancy from the rapers of those people who raped them, who had even killed their families. We had several unhealthy issues, extreme poverty. And God sent me there. I was asking God, why don't you send other people? But God knew that through the pain I went through, I can be able to be a blessing. I have encountered several people in pain who thought that they can't do anything. Those who survived, who were complaining, why did I survive? And I've gone to some of them telling them, okay, you have gone through this, but you were walking. You have all your eyes, you have your hands. You went through this pain. Look at me. I never went through the genocide like you did so, but I don't have the legs, I don't walk, but I had to leave all that. I was able to walk sometime, but I'm no longer be able to walk. So I started drawing from my pain and start to feed other people the hope. And I am here to tell you, Dr. Kelly, that I've seen those people who used to console themselves through the message of reconciliation we are seeing great transformation in our country if we talk about reconciliation you find perpetrators and the survivors when they are coming in one church these days we are no longer identified as hutus and tusis and trust we are Rwandese, and we are preaching the message of hope the message of reconciliation despite and we are seeing the survivors and the perpetrators coming together reconciling and preaching the message of hope it couldn't be able to happen without allowing healing it's one thing to get pain it is another thing to allow god to heal you and it's a process and if you are willing to work with god in that process i am really grateful of what god is doing in my nation and through the pain i've gone through it is now used as a source to encourage others and someone who is watching us you might be going through pain you might be going through some horrible stuffs in your life and you think god has forgotten you through what you have gone through after some time this is when you will say ebenezer you were this far away you never knew that god can use what you went through to bring hope to others i think this is so important uh, pastor Kukura, what you are saying because when we are going through the pain, and as you said, if we're being self-focused, we don't see the value of the pain. And yet God is pressing us for the good juice of the mango or the good juice of the pineapple, as you said earlier. And there are people who we will encounter who are being pressed and they are feeling hopeless. He sent you to people who are feeling hopeless because God had healed you from the inside and you, therefore, could speak life into these other people as well. And so you're saying, let's look differently at the challenges that are there because God has a purpose and a meaning for the challenges that he's allowing us to go through is what I hear you talking about. And this reconciliation that's happening in Rwanda, the forgiveness that's happening there and where perpetrators and those who were the victims of uh, difficulty from the genocide and the harm they are now worshiping together side by side in the same church. And in the country, instead of the tribalism, people are all Rwandese together. 
So this is a work and move of God. Most nations would not be able to overcome this level of challenge and difficulty that's happening in Rwanda. So God sent you there because he had prepared you for your own sufferings to really be a blessing and to help these people move from the pain and to the ultimate healing, which is spiritual, even more than physical is what I'm hearing. We have been talking about many things that I think are really important. And I want you to think for a minute about Christian executives who are in the secular corporations of the world. And they are also on mission for God. They're there for kingdom purposes. And many times they're in these businesses where it's a difficult climate, a difficult environment. The corporation may not share their values and so on. And yet you say in your book that God has a plan for these marketplace ministry leaders. God has them there to interpret, to innovate, and to plan for the future. Say more about that. What is the reason for the marketplace executive to be in his position? During the time when we came to Christ, as I said, we lived in those areas whereby some preachers who were on fire for God in those remote communities, some of them used it to encourage those who are going to school, you know, Christ is coming tomorrow, so you better leave what you are doing. If people were, you need to commit yourself to go to full time, you know, you leave your business, you leave everything you are doing, you need to do like the disciples did, leaving everything and you come and follow Christ, you know. But it, when we check in the Bible, even when we see among us the disciples of Jesus, many of them had different assignments. Some were doctors, others were in finances, like revenue collectors, others were, you know, fishermen. And he had different groups of people working with him. And I believe that people who are in business, people who are uh, in business executives and doing several other things, I'm here to tell you, you are the right candidate. When Jesus explained that very well, when he talked about two people, they will be in the garden. When one is just cultivating, one will be taken, another will, will remain. Two people will be walking. One will be taken. It doesn't, those are several different mountains people are on. People will be in, don't need to come in the church and we stay there and we think, by the way, where are you are? You are in the field where Christ is not going on ready to be hard, but he's going to be sick. You are the one who is representing Christ in that organization, in that place where you work. Let's see the Bible. When we see people like Joseph, who is even my main character in this book, Discover Your Destiny and Become a Destiny Helper, Joseph went in an environment which seemed to be an ungodly environment, whereby even in the king himself, Pharaoh, the Bible tells us that he was surrounded by witch doctors, he was surrounded by fortune tellers, he was surrounded, they were his advisors, they were the ones who spoke into his life, and now it happened that Joseph came in this environment where he doesn't have a pastor in place, where he doesn't have a church in place, even by that time the Bible had not been written, he had nothing, but what he had got from his father became as something to sustain him. 
Where you are in church, you need, or in the places where you are, it is something that is, you need to get what is going to sustain you in that environment, which is ungodly, that you can turn to be contagious for God. That is very important. And where you are, you are the mouth of Jesus. You are the hands of Jesus. You are the feet of Jesus in that place where you are. And this is what Joseph did. And after that time, he even refused to compromise his faith where he was. When the master's wife wanted to sleep with him, he just came and said, no, that is not me. I am your houseboat, but I have come to realize there are boundaries God has set for me, and I don't need it to go beyond those boundaries. What causes us several times when we are in such environment, Daniel, Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, they were set in that environment. There is a time they had even to die the king's food, because according to history, it is seemed that, it, that there were some rituals and sacrifices done with those, that food, and they said we are not going to wait. And Daniel had to live in that environment. We see Daniel as one of the great prophets who lived on the mountain. He was a politician. He was a prophet. He was everything. And who knows where you are, that you are the mouth of Jesus. You are the Daniel of this generation. See how Joseph helped Potiphar's house, how he helped his, his fellow prisoners, how he helped the kingdom to the extent that even the king reached a time calling him a father to him. A young man, and the king is calling him like a father. What helped him? He lived the kingdom standard. We are here, but where you were, you were an ambassador. Live as an ambassador. By the way, an ambassador is someone who represents his government in a foreign land. So you were here as a foreign, where you were. This is why, by the way, an ambassador is given assignment for a short time. And when his government calls him back, no one is going to resist. When God calls you back where you are, no one is going to stop him to do so. However much your husband loves you, however much your wife loves you, however much your kids loves you, no one can. So we need to be true ambassadors where we are. So where you are, be a good representative. Be a good workman. See yourself as an instrument of change. The way Joseph changed that environment, the way even King Nebuchadnezzar reached the time of saying that it, from today, whoever does not worship the God of Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego is going to be thrown in this furnace of fire. That is how much God is requiring from us. So we needed to stand for what we believe. We needed to not compromise our faith where we are. We need to live. At times you may not speak, but it, what is in you can cause people to be hungry to grab what is in you. This is great because you are saying that in the workplace, Christian executives are ambassadors. They're representing the land from which they come, the eternal land where God lives. And they're there to transform and make a difference. The same way Daniel blessed the kingdom where he was serving. Joseph blessed the kingdom where he was serving just by their presence because of what God had poured into them and what they were able to do for those workplaces, if you will. And what you are saying, Pastor Gakura, is that we have to be willing to be bold 
we have to be willing to take stands when necessary. And sometimes it may not always be with words, as you said, but it could just be how we are living in those environments. So I want to follow up with this question. So some people, particularly in Western countries like the United States, like Canada, like countries in Europe, for example, their Christians are being silenced. And I know you say it's important for us to really not hide from our identity in the workplace. So if you are in the workplace and you have the identity as a Christian, a person who belongs to God, people may even be ridiculing you for your faith, mocking you. They may be trying to silence that message or word. What is your advice and counsel to Christian executives for dealing with what you call the destiny killers? Wherever you are, as a Christian executive, I want you to know there are two kingdoms competing for you. By the way, he's not competing for you, but he created you for what you are supposed to be accomplishing. But there is an enemy who has put a price tag on your life. He wants you to be diverted from your original purpose to his purpose. And due to that, it has created a sort of competition that it is as if now there are two people competing for you, God and the enemy. It's a challenge. It's a huge challenge that if we as Christian executives don't know that competition, we end up because the enemy, what he does, he wants us to compromise of who we are. Like what happened to Joseph? You remember what happened to Mordecai? When he was at the gate, the Bible tells us that he, even Haman needed him to kneel down. And according to the Jewish culture and the Hebrews culture, they only knelt to God. And because of what he believed, he refused to kneel down to this God. And we see even from that life, the Queen Esther, he was trying because of the environment he was in, she was trying even, she almost compromised, but someone came and reminded her responsibility. Probably you were in the kingdom for such a time. And here I'm reminding there's a Christian executives. Probably you are in that place for such a time. You don't need to hide who you are. Even when they were introducing Joseph to Pharaoh, they said that there is a Hebrew prison, a Hebrew young man. He was a Hebrew and he came and he interpreted the dream. And what made a difference? He lived what he was believing. This is why Shadrach decided, even if we die in this funds, we are willing to die than compromise who we are. What has killed or what has caused many Christians? We fear the environment we are in. The outside pressure tends to take us. How will these people, you know, when they call this Christian life, it's as if it is an outdated culture. That's why you need to live to a new culture. You need to do a different thing. You need to, you need to have life like other people are having. We are not supposed to live like other people live. We are supposed to live the way God wants us to live as Christians. So we don't need to compromise our faith. We don't need to hide who we are. I was a student, and the several schools where I went, 
even when I talked to the administrators, the first day when they're registering, registering me, the first thing I told them, I'm a Christian and I love God. I want them to know, even when I, I try to divert, they will remind me you are Christian. And you told us from day one. And that helps you in the environment where you are. When you tell people who you are, they tend to know your character. You know, you remember they tried even to look for a reason to accuse Daniel, according to what the Bible tells us. And they found nothing until they had to accuse him about his prayer life against his God. When that came and Daniel knew they are going to refuse me to pray, he just said, I'm willing even to be devoured by lions if God is not going to rescue me, but I'm going not to compromise. I think we need nations which are like United States. Let me tell you, friends, we are crying, we who are in Africa, when we see what this nation used to be. When I come here, I see a different thing. We need to come back to that foundation. We need to stand for who we are. We need to believe God. The Bible tells us that what will a man do to me if God is on my side? If God is for us, who is against me? It doesn't mean that there is no one against you, but it means that if I compromise, that God is bigger than those people who are against me. So some things which kill your destiny. Number one, it comes when you start to compromise your faith. If you are scared to see God bigger than that person, bigger than that company, bigger than that corporation, bigger than where you were working, and you compromise. This is why Joseph said, I know I'm just a houseboy. I am here to wash dishes. But however much I know you, you have authority over me, but when it comes to me and my God, I cannot sin against my God. And that is the level. This lady was a destiny killer. Many of us as Christian executives, we are surrounded by several destiny killers. And if you don't watch many people like Samson, their destiny was affected. Many people like King Solomon, their destiny was affected. It doesn't matter how much successful, how much anointed, how much favored you are. If you compromise your faith, the enemy is going to hook you. So be watchful. This is an important message what you're sharing with us about be faithful no matter what. And even if people are trying to frighten us, trying to scare us, God is bigger than the circumstances is what you are really saying. Be willing if you even have to, to die or to have to leave that corporation and God will place you someplace else, but stand for your faith is what I'm hearing you say. So Pastor Kakor, we only have a couple minutes left. And so I want us to be mindful of that. And I want you to be able to tell people where they can find your books. I want you to be able to say where they can contribute to the ministry if they want to give to your causes. You are building a major church in Rwanda right now, a true building project. So tell people how they can give to that. Tell people how they can get the books. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Karen. You said, Larry, we are doing several tremendous things and we feel that uh, God has sent us in that nation to be a part of the building of the nation and encouraging the nation. 
And I believe this is the time. So we are building, we are in the ministry of building a ministry center, which is going to have a Bible school, a center for people with the disabilities. We do much things like wheelchair distribution, where we can train these people to get some skills. This ministry center is going to have a church sanctuary, and it is going also to have a prayer center where we are believing for revival. And we are Really have, we have got a big vision about this country and in, we want to invest in education, uh, schools, high schools, Bible schools, uh, universities, tertiary institutions, some empowerment, like uh, some uh, income generating projects. We are in outreaches, we reach with the conferences, training the youth, children camps, feeding programs. You know, we are involved in several things and uh, we really call people to come and join hands with us. And I believe we are there for that purpose. And this is why this book is called A Destiny Helper. We need to help other people. When we discover our destiny, we have to help other people to discover their destiny. So these books, this is one of my book, Unlimited Conquering on My Knees. This is my first book, which is really very important. Unlimited conqueror. You know, you were unlimited. That's good, Dr. Karen. And you were unlimited. God created you in a wonderful, this is a bio book and it is on Amazon. You can easily get unlimited conquering on minus on Amazon. This part is power prayer. How can power, how can prayer transform your life? Your faith in the Lord, your trust in the Lord, what can it do? And that's very important. You can get this book. It will be very encouraged, a good encouragement. Those who are discouraged, who think they are hopeless, they have no future, it's going to help you. And this new one, which is, I said, after being as a person without hope, no one was thinking that I had a destiny, as I described to you, that people thought uh, I am going to be uh, to repair old beton shoes. And uh, by the way, in on my book Unlimited, when you see the picture I have, it has those rubber boots you see on the Unlimited. That's what I use it to crawl with. I picked them on the garbage dump, fixed them with a hot knife, and you know they helped me. I slid them on my knees. And I started traveling. So that was a hopeless situation. And then after some time, after discovering my destiny, I started sharing some secrets that can help you to discover what is in you. You are not empty. You are too stopped. And you can't die the way you are. If you die the way you were, it means you are enriching the graveyards. You are and those resources are not meant to go to the grave. They are meant to remain here. There are innovations, creativities, unwritten books, unbuilt buildings, greater things people had never seen in you. And you need to discover that. And this book helps you to know that it, you get to know the qualities. How can I discover my destiny? You said they can get the books on Amazon. And then also they can give to the ministry. We will put that in the show notes as well, because we want people to be able to participate and be destiny helpers with your ministry. What is something else you want to say that you have not said yet? I can easily say you have a destiny. You need to discover it. And after discovering your destiny, you were destiny helper. You have that responsibility to help other people to know their destiny. Yeah, concerning with the how to donate and how to get uh, the website, 
you go to, to bit, that is B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash unlimited random. That's how you can go to the website and you can give dot Y336.org slash give slash Canisius. And that is how. And also, if you want to do to the mission in a specific way, you can go to WOMF.org and you will go there, you scroll down, you see where you will see, you mention others and mention Rwanda, and the, that's where you, you transcribe Rwanda and mention Rwanda, and then that's how you are able to give. And I want to thank you, and I want to say, may God richly bless you as you know who you are. Thank you so much, Pastor Gakura, for that wonderful and encouraging message. And what I will end with today on the verse, and I will ask you following the verse, just to say a sentence prayer for the audience, for the Christian executives who are on the mountaintops every day for God in the workplace. But I want to mention Romans 8.28, which talks about all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. So no matter what challenges God puts into your life, no matter how many mountains you have to crawl up on your knees, God is working it out for your good. And that's what we want to remember. So Pastor Kakor, if you could say a sentence prayer to close us out today, I would be grateful. Father, I want to thank you for the viewers and the listeners of this uh, Christian executive program. I ask you to bless them and help them, King of Kings, to become instruments of change, to be a change in the environment where they are. Establish them in their purposes. Help them to know their identity in you. Give us boldness not to shy away from what you created for us, Lord. May we go for what you created us for. May we just trust you and believe you that you will be the one to see us through. I bless Dr. Karen and all the listeners in Jesus' name. Bless them and speak hope and restoration to those who are torn, to those who are hopeless. Heal the wounded hearts and restore them. Bless what they lay their hands on. Bless their businesses. Bless the institutions where they work in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Dr. Caron. Thank you for this time. And thank you for the viewers and listeners. May God richly bless you. Thank you so much, Pastor Gagora. Delight to have you here. I know people are encouraged. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.